Today's episode of Seven Yet is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash setting edge. That's audibletrial.com slash setting edge. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Once again, that's audibletrial.com slash setting edge. I'm popping bottles tonight. Come do for a fight if you're ready. Yeah. I'm popping bottles, baby. I'm popping bottles, baby. I'm popping bottles tonight. Yeah. Welcome to episode 90 of the Send the Edge podcast. I'm Justice Mosqueda. You can find me on Twitter at J-U-M-O-S-Q. I'm here with my co-host Charles McDonald. You can find him on Twitter at Four Birds. Say what's up with people, Chuck. What's up? We are back after two months, uh, which is becoming the norm for us. Uh, the last episode we did was just off-season talk, and now we are ready for the NFL season to start. Uh, it's week three of the preseason. We're recording this on Thursday night. The Bengals and the Giants just kicked off with their lord and savior, Daniel Jones. Uh, Lamar Jackson is not playing this weekend, which means that uh, we are also done with the preseason. So we might as well just get these win totals out the way and uh, kick off the regular season with a bang. You know, we're just going to go rapid fire through a few of them that we like and then answer some listener questions along the way. Yeah. Um, we also didn't, like, miss anything. Like, people were like, you guys haven't been recording. Meanwhile, I've averaged, like, three three hours of sleep last three days. And also, nothing's happened other than just silly Antonio Brown stories. Yeah, and uh, definitely kind of burned out on that stuff. So, uh, I don't really know. <laughs> I, I, we might hit on it this episode, but I don't really know how much there is to, is to say, like, He's not going to sit out and miss out on millions and millions of dollars over a helmet. Like, that's just not going to happen. Yeah. Um, so from my perspective, right, so I've been really good at, at uh, identifying uh, win totals, overs, unders um, for the last two years. I think I'm hitting that above 70% or something like that. And uh, usually there's like eight that I like. And there's really only been two this entire offseason that I actually like, and it's um, Buffalo under seven. It's now we were looking at uh, bet online. It's now uh, seven and a half with some some odd juice attached to it. And then Oakland under six. And like if you look at Oakland's schedule, they just have like the toughest schedule possible. They lose out on a home game, I believe. Um, they're playing in the AFC West, which like Chargers and Chiefs are probably two of the four best teams in the AFC, I would say pretty comfortably. And then um, like all their hard games are at home. So, like, they don't have, like, any layups outside of, like, maybe a game against Denver. So, like, that their schedule is just, like, one of the all-time hardest uh, schedules possible. And I think there's a, there's a point where they play, like, one home game in, like, two months or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, even with the that game against the Broncos to open the season, with the way that Fangio has had at least that starting defense looking in the preseason, like, that's not even a gimme right there. Like, this schedule is – is tough. I mean, I think like you just touched on it a little bit, but after the Broncos, Chiefs, at Vikings, at Colts, Bears, at Packers, at Texans, like that's a really tough. Uh, and the the Bears game schedule. is in London, right? Exactly. <laughs> uh, so like you're going to be on the road for five straight weeks, unless you want to be weird and count that London game as a home game. Uh, so. I just don't know. And, and we're talking about an offense that hasn't had Antonio Brown for like that much of training camp going on with that helmet dispute. Their defense is still on paper, not looking great, even though 
you know, Maurice Hurst and Cleveland Farrell look like Jerome Brown and Reggie White against the Cardinals off in the blind. Like, this is just, it's just kind of a, like, I know we all, they made strides on offense in the offseason, but this schedule is just not lining up in a favorable manner for them. Like, I, I don't really see, like, I wouldn't be surprised if they ended up one in five or one in six going into that game against the Lions. Like, this is just a very brutal schedule. Yeah, I don't even think it's necessarily like an indictment on Oakland. Like, they still very clearly need to fix their secondary. Um, but I don't think they're that much different from where they were last year. I mean, they've reshuffled their offensive line a little bit, but that schedule is just so tough for them to compete at. And then Buffalo, it's really just kind of like, do I, do I think, uh, Josh Allen is going to go above 500? Probably not. Probably not. Yeah, probably not. Uh, Josh Allen, that stuff with Buffalo is just real interesting because, it, it, it was kind of funny looking at him, watching him play last week, and he was hitting Cole Beasley on, like, three plays in a row. It, it was just kind of the, almost like a shot at us because what we said, like, that <laughs> signing doesn't doesn't really work because Josh Allen doesn't throw it to the intermediate part of the field. But he came out and hit him, like, three times in a row against the Panthers, and then uh, I, I think he was out for the rest of the game. But I just don't believe in that offense yet. Like, I, I don't see how they hit any sort of consistency this year. It, it still just feels like the island of misfit toys to me where – you have this big, strong-arm quarterback, and he's got one guy, or maybe two, with Robert Foster and John Brown that kind of work with him. But the rest is just kind of this weird semblance of talent that would probably fit with a better quarterback or, or a different quarterback. Yeah, I, I'm not going to be in on the Josh Allen and Cole Beasley connection until I see it happen against teams who are scheming to take away Cole Beasley. You know? <laughs> like, I, like preseason is kind of you're almost thrown on air with the way teams aren't like scheming anything, except for Mike Zimmer, who's like seventeen and two in the preseason. Yeah, uh, I mean, what else is there to say about the Bills? Uh, I, I guess the defense is going to be kind of fun. Still, they should I, they should I, trade I for Clowney. They should trade for Clowney. Is my oh yeah, is my hot about take. that. Yeah, there's not very many teams that it makes sense for right because the Clowney situation right now. Also, Houston fumbled and we fired the general manager after last episode. That was pretty amazing turn of events. But um, really, like if you're trading for Clowney, uh, the trade would essentially be Houston trying to get anything, right? Because Houston right now, they're going to have over $100 million in cap space next offseason. So it's not like they're just going to let Clowney walk and then they'll get a compensatory pick. They have to spend money in free agency, right? So really what they're going to be trying to do is like they're either going to tag Clowney again next year. And then trade him like, you know, Deep Ford was traded or uh, Frank Clark was traded. Or they're going to try to get rid of him right now. And you would say, why would you trade him for pennies on the dollar right now compared to what you can get next year? Because right now he can't renegotiate a long-term deal because we're past the deadline for franchise tag players to do that. Um, would basically be like, hey, Bill O'Brien wants to get something back because future draft picks might not matter for Bill O'Brien if he gets fired this year. Which is extremely possible when he hasn't won you know, a big game basically in his entire career as a head coach. And he's going in like year five or six and he doesn't have a general manager name. Like it would be very easy for the team to just kind of clean house if he doesn't get it done this year. So um, there, there are very few teams that it makes sense to trade for Jadavion Clowney on a one-year deal. And I think like Philadelphia, where you're like so high up in terms of like Super Bowl odds that you're just like, screw it. Uh, we'll just take him and we're for sure going to get a compensatory pick because guys are going to have to walk from here anyway, right? So you you trade like a second and get a future third for him and you get a year during a potential Super Bowl push or something like that. I think that makes sense. 
or a team like Buffalo where it's like you're on the fringe and you really need that second pass rusher next to uh, Jerry Hughes. And like Clowney might be the difference between you potentially sneaking in to the playoffs when you get to play the Jets twice and you get to play the Dolphins twice. Like I could see a team thinking along those lines. Yeah, and I think the, what the interesting thing about a potential clowning trade is the compensation for him. Where you know, I, I remember when you brought up the Eagles uh, on Twitter, when you brought up the Eagles could potentially trade for him. Like you know, not that that's been rumored or anything, but that they could do it. Uh, you know, a lot of people are talking about, oh, you like you probably have to give up Jason Peters, and I don't even think you'd have to give up that much because, uh, I mean, you could because they have the the safety net of Andre Dillard. But I mean, you're you you're really trading have- a rental for a rental. Right, like you're not yeah. you're not gonna get full ball. You, you're, Clowney isn't gonna get traded for a first round pick. Maybe a second right. for a team that'll let him walk and walk for a compensatory third next year. So it's like really you're trading like, in terms of the in out what you get out of it, you're trading like a second round pick in 2020 for Jadavion Clowney, and then you're also getting back a 2021 third essentially. So it ends up being like a fourth round value that you're trading for one year of Jadavion Clowney, and then he's hitting the open market. Which is like kind of worth it, but but the the uncertainty long term is kind of why you, you don't really need to throw the farm or throw a first round pick at Houston. But I, I just think they should get this over with and pull the plug on it because it's clear that he doesn't really have a future there anymore, and they they bungled this thing so bad. Uh, it's not like we didn't there. know these. It's not like we didn't know these deadlines were coming. Like exactly. <laughs> I've been I've been spamming our group chat this entire summer being like, how is this Jadavian Clowney deal not getting done? Why aren't there any Jadavian Clowney trade rumors? Like we knew that this deadline was in July. The other story was like the luck stuff where I'm like, why isn't everyone talking about luck basically not practicing for an entire offseason? I just don't get like I mean, I, I understand a little bit. People are on vacation and stuff like that. But these were huge stories that like were pretty obvious that they were going to become stories in like early July, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 And, and, and the thing with the, cause I remember sitting there on the day that it was the deadline of the franchise tag. Cause you know, everyone knows I'm a tortured Falcons fan. So I'm sitting there like, Oh my God, like are they really not about to get a deal done with Grady Jarrett? And then they got it done. And I was like, okay, so hopefully we should see, or maybe we'll see the, the clowny deal come next. And then the deadline passed and we haven't got any real updates since then. So yeah, well, like, they, the they fired we- their general manager like two weeks before the deadline. Yeah, that's what confident franchises do. Yikes! I do, I do, I do, I do enjoy that that uh, Bill O'Brien is already like, yeah, I'm I'm out on our first and second round offensive lineman. He's like, Matt Matt Khalil is our left tackle, and we're in the tackle market. It's like, oh, that's cool. Did you see the the quote from Deshaun uh, Watson the other day where he was like, you know, I really feel comfortable with uh, like Roger Johnson or you know that old FSU <laughs> tackle. At left tackle. I was like, oh, really? Word? But then I thought the other option is Matt Khalil. So maybe that's true. Maybe he does feel more comfortable with uh, the FSU tackle. But it's going to be bad, man. Like, And last week I was watching the uh, – or a few days ago, I guess, I was watching uh, Deshaun's performance against the Lions. And it was great. And the offensive line held up, held up pretty well. But then I realized that uh, Trey Flowers, Snacks, and Deshaun Hand weren't playing. And they were just rushing three on every play. So it was like, oh, okay. This is not real. Uh, he's probably going to get slaughtered again. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. I, I'm, I'm not confident that Bill O'Brien isn't going to get fired, which is what would push him to trade Clowney for essentially pennies on the dollar relative to what they can get next offseason. And as far as we know, Bill O'Brien is kind of calling the shots in Houston. I mean, even with the old general manager, it sounded like the old general manager was kind of um, 
in charge of the draft, but he wasn't necessarily in charge of like pro personnel. So like one reason I was told that like one reason like the Demarius Thomas trade was able to happen for Houston, right, was because Bill O'Brien was kind of calling the shots in terms of pro personnel there. So he didn't, it, it, you know, Houston didn't have to run it by their head coach, their offensive coordinator, their wide receivers coach, their general manager, their head of uh, player personnel at the pro level to say, hey, are, are we cool with this compensation that we're going to get for Demarius Thomas? Or it was basically just Bill O'Brien saying, yep, I want him and I'm going to make the trade. So Bill O'Brien's still in charge of all that stuff. So I, I don't even know really what the hell is going to happen here. Plus, they've like punted on every free agency class since the Brock Osweiler situation, which is not great. They just keep rolling over money for no good reason. Which is so weird because like you got rid of Osweiler so you could have more money to spend on like a dead like on a bum quarterback. Like obviously you have to take that hit when you traded him, but now you should be making moves and they're not doing anything. Yeah, you're gonna waste Deshaun Watson's rookie contract by just sitting on cap space, and it just it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> I I don't get that's it. A, that's the opposite of what you're supposed to do. Yeah, yeah, I don't really get. It. I guess go go in big next year, but again, if you want to go in big next year, you're not getting a, a compensatory pick for Jadavian Clowney. Period. That's it's just not going to happen. So I'm getting sad. <laughs> I love love poorly ran uh, NFL teams. So let's get into these uh, these over unders. What which ones stand out to you? Since I gave you Buffalo under um, and Oakland under. Uh, wait. I don't have. <laughs> wait. Is this? Are you looking at? Is this the Google Doc? Go on the second sheet of the Google Doc. The second tab. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Okay. Okay. This is great. Uh, San, we talked a little bit before we came on. Uh, <laughs> we are we, we are mid-season four. Uh, we talked a little bit before we came on about San Francisco uh, with the eight and a half win total. And I, I you know, I think I kind of lean me under there, even though like eight and eight kind of feels about right for me. If they can kind of, if they can keep healthy, I just don't know how much to trust really either side of the ball, but you kind of look at it and, on offense, they've got talented guys. We're gonna, we still got to see how they kind of mesh together because, you know, one big fantasy debate this offseason has been who the hell is going to be San Francisco's wide receiver one because even Shanahan has talked about how, how much he's been impressed with guys like Debo Samuel and Jalen Hurd, and Debo Samuel's made a few big plays this preseason, so I don't really know how that's going to shake out, but you just kind of look at it, and, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, we know when he's on the field, he can at least play. Uh you know, he's, he's shown signs of talent, even if last year wasn't great for him in the three games that he's played. They got two good back, two good booking tackles and Joe Staley, Mike McGlinchey, uh, Tevin Coleman is back with Shanahan uh, playing running back. And he had a few nice runs the other day against Denver. I mean, they have pieces. It's just kind of like, we still need to see it. And I think, you know, just taking the time for this team to mesh together, uh, plus Jimmy Garoppolo getting back in the form after missing almost all of last year torn ACL. I, I think that they might not hit their ceiling this year, but hopefully enough to keep Shanahan and Lynch there for another season. Because I, I think I'm going to go slightly under on, on San Francisco 8.5. Yeah, the big worry there is, like, we haven't seen Jimmy Garoppolo play well in a football game in, like, two years, basically, yeah. right? If Even if you include the preseason, he hasn't been looking great. And then the other thing is, like, hey, man, we talked about, you know – Tampa and Oakland having really bad secondaries over the past couple years. San Francisco's right up there, and they really didn't make that many moves, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, uh, that's the big I mean, worry. What, is what like, moves did they make besides Jason Gray, who's already hurt? Yeah, that was basically it. It was like that. I think they drafted 
one guy. They drafted a person named Tim Harris in the sixth round. Played for Virginia. Name. He was not the best uh, secondary player at Virginia last year, is what I know about him. All right. Uh, that doesn't sound good. Yeah. So the other, the other ones, really, they kind of sound like where they should be. So the teams that are 10 and over, right, are New England, Kansas City, Philadelphia, the Rams, the Chargers, and New Orleans. I'm, I'm pretty confident in saying, you know, those are probably the best teams in the league right now. New Orleans could be a little iffy with the Breeze stuff, and I think Carolina is probably better than people think. Um, yeah. But outside of that, I mean, I really don't have that much of a feel for where I would lean on, on most of the, these other ones. I mean, the Jets are at 7.5 right now. That seems pretty lofty, but they've changed over their entire offensive line. They've quietly gotten a lot better on the offensive line. Um, their defensive line still monsters, and they still get to play Josh Allen twice, and they get to play Miami twice. So I don't, I don't think it's impossible for them to get to eight, you know, but I would probably lean under for the Jets at seven and a half too. Yeah, I, I think, you know, if you can go back to Carolina real quick, that team is super interesting to me. Because, you know, you have the huge caveat with Cam Newton. Like, if his shoulder straight, like, if he's healthy, all that shit. But if he's good to go, like, this – I don't see why they couldn't, like, legitimately win the division. Because when you look at that front seven, it's going to be crazy. I mean, I I, I wrote uh, after they signed McCoy that, you know, if you're building, like, a three-man defensive line for, you know, whatever three, four defense hybrid looks they're going to go for – I mean, if you can get Don Terry Poe to go 100% like he did that that uh, contract year and he had in Atlanta a couple years ago, Poe, Short, and McCoy, like those three skill sets that they kind of play perfectly off each other. And then you throw in Brian Burns off the edge. You said that Luke Keekley and Shaq Thompson playing behind them. Christian Miller is depth. They got Bruce Irvin. I mean, that's... That's a that's a front seven that can cause a lot of problems, and you know I I still think Bruce Irvin is kind of underrated. We've been on that for a few years, but yeah. when he came when he came to Atlanta last year, he had a handful of impact plays for the half season he was there. So I still expect him to, to be a good contributor. And we've seen Brian Burns flash in that first preseason game uh, against the Bears. I want to say so that that front seven can, I mean. They can get diverse with that. They can get creative with that. They can do a lot of stuff to stunch us off the skill sets they have. They're going to have Dante Jackson year two, who's up and down, but for a second-round corner, like, that was a pretty good rookie season for him. Uh, James Bradbury is a pretty solid starting cornerback, so that defense could be good. Everyone on Twitter has been talking about Curtis Samuel, and they got DJ Moore, who in the right role can be a very explosive player for them. Like, they just have so much talent that maybe isn't getting covered the way it should be on a Nationals level, but... If Cam can stay healthy, like I think that's a team that could like pretty easily approach ten wins. Sir, I want to rewind this like two months ago where you made fun of me for taking uh, Carolina plus six hundred to win the NFC South. Did I say that? Yes, yeah, so this was before the the McCoy trade or the McCoy signing, and well, you were I, like, okay. "Wow, way to burn your money!" And I was like, "It's plus six hundred. Like they have a one in six chance of doing this." Well, I don't remember that, so it didn't happen. Also, I didn't even really look at the Panthers seriously until they got McCoy, and then I started looking at the roster. Like, oh shit! Like these guys are actually pretty good. Yeah, they have they have uh, what four offense tackles, three offense tackles now. And yeah, they're playing I mean, all out of place. Their offensive line should be fine. Uh, I agree. Like the, the inside, the inside makes you worry a little bit. But they they signed Matt Paradis, who's a really good uh, center when he's healthy and stuff like and that. Try turners above average. 
Yeah, it's just it. What worries me is when people say the name Greg Van Roten, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> I remember him from Packers preseason games. It wasn't it wasn't good, and now he's gonna, he might start 16. That's that's not great. Yeah, I remember watching Van Roten last year, and I was watching him in like early season. I was like, okay, you know, this guy for a random undrafted free agent that they just signed out of nowhere. Uh, you know, he's not bad, and that's a season when I was like, wow, this guy sucks, bro. Uh, <laughs> and you know, that's a little worrisome, but I, I still think they should have four decent starters. Like, we're going to have to see what that Greg Little thing turns into. Yeah, they, they got to kick in one of the tackles to guard, and it's not going to be Daryl Williams because Daryl Williams is playing a, a prove-it year, basically. There's no way he's going to kick inside. So either has to be Little or Moten. So we'll, we'll see we'll see what happens there. I hope they choose the right one. I think Moten can stick outside. I just don't know if Little can go from the offense that he was in to transitioning to, to guard you know, immediately. So that that's kind of my worry there is if Van Roten ends up beating him for the starting job and Van Roten starts 16, there's there's potential for, uh, you know, Cam getting his shoulder taken off or something that way. Yeah. Uh, do any other any of these other teams stand out to you? Uh, so I, I made a couple other bets if we want to talk about that. Not necessarily over-unders, but just uh, divisional races and stuff like that in general. So the other two divisional races that I took were uh, – Tennessee in the AFC South plus 700, okay, which is a long shot, and then Baltimore plus 300 AFC North. Do you have takes on either of those? I have zero Tennessee Titans takes, and I never will have Tennessee Titans takes. Uh, but the Ravens, I mean, I, I I feel like people are really sleeping on our team. Uh, and I think we're making a little bit – we might be making a bit too much of the losses they had on defense. I mean, Zedaria Smith, like, is obviously more than a solid player, good enough to get that big contract from Green Bay. But, I mean, they just signed Earl Thomas, and their secondary is still crazy. Uh, like, Earl Thomas, Tony Jefferson, Marlon Humphrey, that's about as good as a trio as you'll find in the league. And I know they, they lost Tavon Young, but I, I don't really know if we should be that concerned over it. And on offense, I mean – it, it like it can't it, like their offense was even good last year and they made the playoffs so I, I don't really know how much to be concerned about you know Lamar Jackson starting a full 16 games because it's not even like as a passer efficiency wise he was worse than Joe Flacco so like what what's the hold up here like I know the Browns got a lot better but the Ravens should actually like, absolutely be considered a threat to win the division like I think plus 300 is a, a fine bet and you know I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if they ended up winning the division when it's all said and done. Like that, that's not a team that we should be surprised if they end up making the playoffs. Yeah, I agree. Um, cause, cause snaps leaving is important, right? But I think we have to contextualize that with you know Baltimore right now probably still has the deepest defensive line and the deepest secondary in the NFL, right? Like their linebackers, okay, they might be iffy, um, but them losing those snaps from a guy like Darius Smith. I don't think matters that much when you still have Matt Judon, who's probably better than Zadarius Smith. And then you also have, you know, guys like Bowser, guys like Tim Williams, guys like uh, Shane Ray, guys like uh, Jalen Ferguson fighting for snaps opposite of him. You know, this isn't like when Dallas went 12 and 14 or whatever a couple years ago, Dak's rookie year, and then they just hemorrhaged snaps on the defensive side and didn't have the depth to back it up. Baltimore always has that depth on the defensive side. So I'm not worried about that. Um, my Tennessee take is basically just the AFC South is a mess and they're basically giving this one out for free, you know, like, okay, we already talked about how much of a mess Houston is. Luck isn't practicing still. And then what's the other team? Oh, Jacksonville. It's Nick Foles. So 
I'm not really yeah. I'm not really like if if you give me plus seven hundred that any team wins that division, I'm like, okay, I'll take it. Yeah, that's fair. Uh and like you said earlier, like uh why aren't we talking more about Andrew Luck not practicing at all? Uh it's it's kind of weird. But I mean, you know, based on the way that Luck finished the season last year, I you know, I, I still don't think his start to the season was that impressive, but the way he finished the year was was pretty strong. Uh so, you know, maybe that can carry over even if he doesn't practice. But, like, still, man, the franchise quarterback hasn't practiced for, what, two offseasons in a row pretty much. So it's it's a little concerning. But, I, like, I, I, I don't think – or like you said, pretty much any team to win that division plus 700 is a good bet to make. I just don't care enough about the Titans to really think about them that much. Like, if they make the playoffs, maybe I'll go back and visit them. But they're the Titans. It just feels like the same shit every year. Yeah, what I I think that the Titans and Colts were even fighting for a playoff spot week seventeen last year, because I think I, I went to a Blazers game. I think it was like the Blazers Sixers game, and I was watching it like at halftime of that game. Was catching like some clips of it, you know, in the stadiums in the in the or the the televisions of the stadium and stuff like that. So Tennessee was right there last year. Tennessee isn't as bad as people think. They're just an extremely boring team. Um, I have some other bets. Like I'm, they're they're. It, it it's bets on teams relative to teams, and that sounds weird to say, but here's what they are. So it's Green Bay, a game and a half more than Detroit minus one forty five. Wait, say that again. So Green Bay winning a game and a half more than Detroit minus one forty five. Uh, I mean. That seems like a pretty safe bet to me. I, 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 I still think the Lions team's going to suck. Like, I, I'm just not in on this team whatsoever. Yeah, they're just in a really tough division. I, I don't get this line at all. I don't understand it. Yeah, and if you want to look at the Lions' schedule, so they get a, a game against the Cardinals, which, you know, might be a layup uh, to start. And then they go Chargers at Eagles versus Chiefs at Packers versus Vikings. Like, that's a very <laughs> – that's a brutal stretch to start the season. I mean, we're talking about the Chargers – even without Melvin Gordon, that offense should still light people up. The Eagles, RB, talked about as the best team in the league. Mahomes, Chiefs, self-explanatory. And then the Packers and the Vikings are two very solid teams, too. And the Packers, you know, they've made a lot of improvements on the defensive line. I mean, I think you can talk about how much, like, if they're going to be this elite defensive line, but I don't think you can dispute that they're a lot better than they were last year. So, uh, you know, and, and then you're not even talking about two games against the Bears. They still have to play the Packers and Vikings again. That's that's a really 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 tough schedule, uh, and I just don't think that they're equipped yet to go and really chase that division. And you know they, they did make some improvements on defensive line, like getting Trey Flowers was big, but on offense, I don't really feel convinced that they did anything to enough to really be a lot better than they were last year. Unless Daryl Bevel comes out and pulls you know some Kyle Shanahan shit out of his ass. Yeah, I don't get it. The, the other uh, another one that I had. Patriots, three and a half wins over the Jets, minus 110. Uh, I mean, I would take that every year, no matter what it is. I want to cash this out right now. They should have cashed this out when they said that Gordon was reinstated. That, that's a ridiculous line. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you just look at how much better they are when Gordon's on the field, I mean, just in terms of like even yards per target last year, he's still one of the best guys in the league, and he had barely played over the past well, like two or three years before that. I mean... The dude is just a monster, and Tom Brady's a lot better when he's on the field. 
Uh, you just look at how their offense expands. You know, they have the deep threat. A guy can also catch a slant and take a 70 yard to the house. I mean, that get them getting him back was huge. And I know they're going to lose Gronk, uh, obviously, because he's retired now. But man, like, I don't, I really don't think you can understate how important that, uh, that Josh Gordon uh, getting him back was. I mean, you're going to have Michael Bennett on the defensive line. Like, they swapped out Trey Flowers for Michael Bennett, which might be a wash or maybe even win for the Patriots if Michael Bennett is still on top of this game. Uh, you know, the secondary is going to fall into Belichick. Like, I would take that no matter what year. Like, as long as you got Brady and Belichick, I would take them three and a half over any team in their division at any time. Yeah, that's an absurd line. The other one is, I don't even know how much we need to talk about this one, but KC, three and a half wins over Oakland, minus, minus uh, 140. Well, yeah, we just trashed Oakland, so... <laughs> Uh, I don't really see KC going anywhere now, especially that Tyreek Hill is not getting suspended. Oh, and they yeah. added Nicole Hardman. So, you know, that offense is going to be ridiculous again. And their defense got a lot better. Like, their, de- the, their defense, their run defense last year was awful. Their pass defense was not as bad as people made it out to sound. But their defense actually got better in a year that I didn't think that was going to be possible with, you know, letting Justin Houston walk and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, I mean, if you just want to look at what they added, I mean, Tyron Matthew, I, I thought that, you know, it, it, it's been hard for him since he tore his ACL a couple of years ago, but I thought that towards the end of the season last year, like, he started to look like the same Tyron Matthew of old, and then he, he cashed in with that big contract. They had a Frank Clark. Uh, you know, Chris Jones is already an absolute monster. Uh, according to pretty much every beat reporter in Kansas City, Juan Thornhill, their second-round pick, is going to be a guy that ends up starting for them sooner rather than later. Uh, I mean, that defense... It, you know, it's, it's probably not going to be world beating, but they're more than good enough to come out like and win a championship with that offense. So, you know, I, I think three and a half wins more than Oakland. Like that should be an absolute game. Like even at one minus one forty, that feels like a very, it still feels like good value for your bet. Yeah. And then the last one that I got was Seattle, a half win more than the 49ers at minus one twenty yeah, the only thing that kind of worries me about Seattle is their defense this year. Because, you know, I think really any offense, even even with the way that they handcuff Russell Wilson by running the ball 40 times a game, uh, you know, I still think they're going to be fine on offense as long as they have that quarterback. The only thing that kind of worries me is on defense. But I, I do think they're a better team than the 49ers because you have that assurance at quarterback that the 49ers don't have. Uh, so, you know, half a win more, which is just one win more than the 49ers, that, that feels like it's The thing about their defense that I think is really understated right now and that I don't even think the people who cover the draft really talk about enough with the Seahawks is and we talked about this in our group chat a couple days ago where where, uh, you know, this pattern matching defense and stuff like that. Right. It's harder to teach at the NFL level than any other level because training camp starts, what, two weeks before preseason games start. So how much can you really give these guys, you know, compared to the college level where these guys are on campus basically every day of the year, four years, five years, three years, whatever it may be, um, those guys are coached up more in terms of like what you can make for the calls. And when you look at Seattle, like all the teams that they draft from on the defensive side of the ball are playing their scheme at the college level. So they can almost plug and play these guys in ways that other NFL systems can't, right? So like you look at the second round, they drafted a a safety out of Utah. They played cover three match. You look uh, the, in the third round, they drafted a linebacker out of Utah, cover three match. Fourth round, they drafted a corner out of Oregon, cover three match. Fifth round, they drafted a linebacker out of Washington, cover three match. Like, I think all these guys can kind of be plug-and-play players. It seems like Seattle really has a handle on, like, who their guys are in the draft. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. 
But you know, you, but then you kind of look at the splits of their defense with and without Earl Thomas, and now you know you're gonna have a full season guaranteed without him. And even last year, man, like he finished as their uh, team leader in interceptions. He only played four games. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't. I just don't know how, like how you how you replace that. So you know, we'll see. And I think maybe their biggest transition is gonna be on the defensive line because. Uh, LJ Coyier, I know he's been banged up in camp, and Jerron Reed's going to be suspended for six games, I want to say. So, (laughs) you know. And and Ziggy's still trying to get healthy. Ziggy's not 100% yet. Yeah. So, like, that defensive line, it's kind of crazy when you look at where they were when they were, you know, that Legion of Boom, and they were too deep with guys like Red Bryant, Michael Bennett, uh, Cliff Abel, Frank Clark, and now you just kind of have a shell of that. Uh, So, you know, I think the defensive line is going to be a huge transition, but that's a good point with who they draft and the schemes that they're coming from, they're pretty much getting guys that already know how to do what they do. So maybe that'll be a little bit of an easier transition for them, but talent wise, they still got to prove it. But that defense worries me a little bit, but I think they can still win more games than the 49ers just because, just because Russ is so good. Uh, are we still uh, Puna Ford or yeah, Puna Ford uh, Hive? Yeah, I'm, I'm still here on Puna Ford Hive, but if he's your best defensive tackle for the first six weeks of the season, I don't think that's a great spot to be in. Yeah, probably not. It it probably helps to have Jerron Reed next to you. Yeah. Um. Do you want? Do we want to uh, answer questions, or do we want to go into my uh, Jay Z conspiracy theory? Uh, let's hit the Jay Z conspiracy theory first. All right. This is happening in front of our eyes, and I don't understand why no one is piecing this together. All right. So Stephen Ross, he goes under heat for the Trump donations, right? He stepped down from the Social Justice Committee yesterday. Kenny still spoke up against him. Brian Flores is playing all these Jay-Z songs. Miami's hosting the Super Bowl while Jay-Z gets control of the Super Bowl halftime. In an interview where he's telling people, you know, we got to get past um, kneeling. You know, what are we doing after that? People know what the issues are. Um, Stephen Ross gives away shares to his franchise all the time. It's like J-Lo, Fergie, Pitbull are part owners of the Miami Dolphins. Um, we're like a month away from the Colin Kaepernick should be signed by the Miami Dolphins articles just being pumped out on a regular basis. I think Stephen Ross is going to give uh, Jay-Z a share of the Miami Dolphins, man. Because the news came out that Jay-Z was going to be a part owner. And when people say part owner, I think they're probably uh, saying that a little heavy-handed. I don't think he's going to get really <laughs> yeah. any part of the team that's significant. But he's definitely getting control of the Super Bowl halftime show. Um, he's going to be the face of basically like, let's let's get beyond the Kaepernick stuff. Um, I, I just don't understand why people aren't piecing this together because people are guessing like, what team is Jay-Z going to be a part owner of? And I'm like, well, if you're thinking from like uh, the perspective of Jay-Z, if you're not going to have actual financial stake in this franchise, like what cities do you even want to be associated with? And you have to rule out New York off of the top because both of the New York teams are like family run businesses in a way that like, their entire family identity is built around we own this team, right? Like the Mars have owned the Giants since the 1920s. They're not giving them a piece of the Giants. Um, so I think Miami just kind of checks all the boxes, and it seems like Jay-Z is going to become somewhat of like a meat shield for all this stuff. And the other thing that factors into this is like I don't think people really understand how important legacy is to a lot of these NFL uh, owners are in a way like – they really want to get a team in London because they want to be the first uh, first sports league in America to have a team in Europe, 
right? Like, that's one of Robert Kraft's, like, big legacy things. He wants that done before he's dead, I guess, is the way we should put it. Um, <laughs> oh, God. So, like, so, like, so, like, things like that, like, big legacy pieces are, like, way more important to NFL owners than people really think. And one of the big legacy pieces that, like, everyone wants including Roger Goodell is like the NFL 100th year anniversary, just being a huge blowout, no off field drama, like just basically bask in like masturbatory, um, uh, just celebration of the sport. Right. And we're like real close to like all these, all these Kaepernick articles starting again, um, people potentially kneeling and stuff like that. So I think this really is like a move for everyone involved to just be like, Hey, Jay-Z, do you want to be a meat shield? Um, You're going to have to tell people to stand up and, like, stop talking about this stuff. But we'll give you a part of the team. And I just don't really see why Jay-Z would really do that. Because, like I said, I don't think he's going to get a big part of the franchise or anything. Um, But I I just, like, there's so much smoke here that I can't see it not being the Dolphins. If he does get uh, a part of the franchise, which is what TMZ Sports said. And for whatever you want to say about TMZ, they usually get stuff right. Yeah, I mean... Everything you say makes sense. And, you know, when you kind of lay it out, and I'm looking at the notes you just wrote, it, it does make sense that, you know, the Dolphins would be the team for Jay-Z to be a part-time or, you know, a, a part owner of and a part. Like, that doesn't really mean anything. Like, we're talking like 3%, 5%, yeah. maybe, maybe, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I just don't understand, like, why is Jay-Z doing this? Like, what did, what was he really gaining out of this? Because the, contr- the control board? the control of the halftime show can't be that big of a factor, right? Like, who used to run it before? Pepsi? I don't know. <laughs> like, we're talking about, like, a soda company? So, like, I, yeah, I don't, I don't really understand what's going on there. And the other thing, too, that's, that kind of gets interesting is, like, if Jay-Z does this and he's a part owner, is he going to have to sell his agency? Because the issue was when, when, he, when he owned the Nets, he had to sell his, again – we talk about part owner and saying this is a little heavy handed, right? When he was a part owner of the nets, he had to sell that when he started his agency. So I don't know if he's going to have to do that. I don't, I don't understand what's really in it for him. No, neither do I. I mean, it just seems like he's being a meat chill for no reason. And I'm like, dude, you're Jay-Z. You, you don't have to do any of this. Like this money, it, this money that you earn from the NFL is not going to change your life in the slightest. Like, you are made, man. Uh, but I don't know, maybe he's just fucking bored and wants to do this stuff, which is, you know, rich people get bored all the time. But I just I just don't understand why you're just getting his name involved in all this stuff. But, you know, when you lay it out like that, it does make sense that the Dolphins would be the team that Jay-Z becomes a, a very, very small owner of. Uh, and I guess we'll just throw that out to what people are listening and see what they think. You can tweet at us. Maybe we'll read them. Uh, you want to hit these listener questions or do you have more to say? No, I'm out of takes. That That's two months of takes <laughs> that, we, that we played okay. out basically. Oh, wait, I have one question for you before we get into these listener questions. If you had one stay away team on these win totals, what would, what would yours be? Like a team that I'm not betting on either side? Yeah. <sighs> I think my thing might be, might be Atlanta, I think. Yeah, I was thinking like Atlanta, Chicago, Dallas, like teams in that range where I'm like, man, it could, it can go either way. Like this could, this could be real good or real bad for you this year. 
Yeah, because I mean, when you just look at the Falcons, bro, I don't know if you watched their game against the Jets last week. But... I saw tweets from it. There were there were many a tweet of just Matt Ryan is dying in the pocket. Dude, he so I I cut up a clip of just all the times that he was pressured, hit, or moved off of the spot when he got a chance to throw the ball. I found ten plays. He threw fourteen passes. Like this is not <laughs> this is not what you're looking for. Well, the other the other <laughs> thing too, he was playing like deep into the second quarter, right? Yeah, he almost played till halftime. Yikes, man! Why? Why? I don't know. He's gonna make the team. Williams. Yeah, he's make the team for sure. <laughs> he's gonna make the team. Like I, I don't understand. Like that's why people are like a lot of Packer fans are like mad. Rodgers isn't playing in these uh, preseason games. I'm like, he's gonna make the team. He has an injury history. What are we? What are we doing yeah. here? <laughs> like, I don't get it. I don't know. And I mean, dude, Quentin Williams was out there literally pancaking the Falcons off to the linemen. Like it was not cool. I. Uh, and, you know, with the defense, I mean, that, that defense hasn't been good, like, outside of 2017 since Matt Ryan was drafted. So I don't even know how you could ever feasibly count on that being a thing. So, you know, I would just stay away. Like, the offense could very well come back and just be great because they have so much talent and skill for skilled players. And, uh, you know, they have a quarterback that's very good. But outside of that, like, that's a stay away team for me for sure when it comes to betting on their over-under. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's uh, hit these questions. Uh, let's, you know, hit it on the Bears. First question from TD at TD God. Are the Bears a regression candidate with uh, Vic Fangio gone and, you know, all the other stuff? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think everyone in the world has been talking about this. They had a historically great defense last year, even if that, you know, wasn't the coverage that they were getting at the time. I mean, they, they forced 36 turnovers. They scored so many touchdowns as a defense. They got sacks, forced fumbles, interceptions. I mean, it's almost even, you know, even if you're returning guys like Akeem Hicks, Khalil Mack, Eddie Jackson, Roquan Smith, like it's still very hard to keep up that level of production. And, you know, it's it's the same deal as what Jacksonville went through last year, where, you know, you, you're coming off a year where your defense was historically great. Now you're going to see some natural regression. Can the offense take enough steps to, I guess, to, to counteract that? And we're just going to have to see. I know neither of us are big Mitch Trubisky believers, but I think if you're just going to compare them to that Jaguars team, one thing they do have, like I, I do think they have better talent at skill and maybe a little bit better offensive coaching. But, you know, that that Bears offense was very overrated last year. And it's funny because people use points per game uh, as a metric for that offense or for their, you know, for the offense. But it, they're not taking into account that the Bears scored a lot of touchdowns on defense, and that also counts. Well, that, that was the thing with Jacksonville, too. Like, that year, Jacksonville's defense was really good. Um, the Jags were, like, sixth in points per game or something like that. And it was clear their offense wasn't that good, you know? So it's, it's things like that. And the, the, big, the bigger issue, I think, in Chicago is, one, Fangio gone, right? Fangio is a legitimately great defensive mind in a sport that does not have very many of those. And then second, their depth on defense is not good. Like, their starting line of their depth chart is really, really good. I would be surprised if they were not a top five defense in the league this year. But if one guy goes down, the difference between the guy coming off the bench and the guy who just got hurt is huge. I mean, if Khalil Mack gets hurt and the difference is him and Aaron Lynch, or if the difference between Kyle Fuller is, like, Duke Shelley and Kyle Fuller, right? Yeah. Like that—that's the stuff where it ends up becoming like, what, what, what are we really doing here? Like, you got to get some depth. I remember because I had to do because I'm working with the XFL and stuff, right? Like, one of the things we did was we went through NFL rosters and we did big projections. Like, the amount of undrafted free agents that were in Chicago is just crazy, and it's because they're strapped up against the cap, you know, and they didn't have any draft picks. Yeah. So, like, all like a lot of their 90-man roster, 
relative to the rest of the league is just guys who like are probably not even going to be on practice squads in the NFL soon. So like those are kind of wasted reps, you know, in uh, in camp and guys who aren't pushing for position battles and stuff like that. So it's like these guys who are like D grade players are like locks to make the roster in Chicago just because they don't have the means of getting new players. Yeah, and I I know that you know Bears fans, boy, like if you go if you if you stumble your way into Bears Twitter or that the Bears fans attack you, like they are still very confident that this defense will come out looking exactly the same that it did last year. Which is, I mean, good luck. I mean, it's still going to be very good, like you said. If, if they if they did, it would be the best like two year stretch of NFL defense in the history of the league. So right could happen hey if it happens cool man like that'd be a real cool thing to see happen but it just doesn't seem very likely yeah and i mean and this is kind of the moment that you've been leading up to since you drafted miss trubisky is you know this is his year like this is where he has to take that next step and show that he can be the franchise quarterback and man like it's just gotta hurt watching watson and mahomes knowing that they went like 10 picks after him i mean we already know that Mahomes had the MVP a year as a starter, but quietly not being talked about a lot is Deshaun Watson being off to one of the best starts in NFL history too. Uh, so while, while he's yeah, that, while he's riding in buses because he can't fly in planes, <laughs> yeah, playing behind an awful offensive line and his receivers are always hurt. Like yeah, yeah. So if you just want to look at like raw adjusted yards per attempt, like without even adjusting for like how many times he threw the ball or versus defense, Mahomes finished first in the league with 9.6 adjusted yards per attempt. Watson finished eighth in the league with 8.5 adjusted yards per attempt. And Mitchell Trubisky finished 19th with 7.3 yards per attempt. So, you know, that that offense was not very good last year, uh, even though, you know, that points per game metric can lie to you a little bit. And, you know, it, it's just time for Mitchell Trubisky to step up and be the guy. Uh, so, yeah, they are a huge regression candidate to answer the question. Uh, next question from our pal Ethan Hammerman at Ethan Ham. Bengals for number one overall pick. The Dolphins and the – so this is the thing. is We're almost at the point now where it's like bad offensive line plus bad QB just like equals super high draft pick. Because the, the first thing that comes to mind is maybe – I mean the, the Bengals have had two or three offensive linemen retire in the past like two weeks. Um, the Cardinals still have an offensive off, uh, an awful offensive line, and the Miami Dolphins beat reporters are just tweeting on a daily basis about how awful their their team looks like in practice. And the Dolphins don't have pass rushers in practice, and they've already switched their offensive line coach. So, like, I think all three of those teams are pretty high up there. Yeah, I think if I had to, I don't know what the Bengals because like they they're gonna suck, obviously, but. I just think the Cardinals might be worse than them, honestly. And like they're yeah. both slated for five point five and a half wings. Miami's at four and a half. But I think to me, the Cardinals got to be one of the leading teams for uh, number one overall pick, just because I don't know if you guys are listening to this, if you've watched them in the preseason, but I can't tell what's a big concern in their offensive or defense. And, you know, Cliff is, is going to come in and the highlights are going to be fun. But overall, like this offense is not going to, like, it's not going to be, that historically bad level. I hope not that it was last year, but we're not talking about a team that's going to probably even be an average offense this year. That offensive line stinks. Kyler Murray's going to take his lumps. I mean, he was pretty bad throwing the ball against Oakland last week. Uh, and it's just going to take time for the thing to come together. Like they're probably maybe three years away from really feeling a competent team. So it, it's just going to take a while for that thing to get in motion. And uh, 
like I said, like that defense is bad. Like if you want to go back and just watch that first drive against Oakland's offense from last week, they got bulldozed and Derek Carr had a few nice completions. Uh, it, it's just going to be rough sledding for them this year. Yeah, they're a mess. Uh, who, who's who's the Cardinals' two starting cornerbacks in week one? We looked at this the other day. Oh, Tr- well, Tremaine Brock and, like, oh r- rookie Byron Murphy are probably going to be their yeah. two starters. Because so. it looks like it looks like Robert Alford's out for a while. We know uh, P- Patrick Pierce's P- PD suspension. So. Yeah, so that's not great. Yeah. Uh, but at least they have a 97-year-old Terrell Suggs rushing the passer for them. Yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, it, by the way, if Suggs goes down, their pass rusher depth, it's not good. Something called a Pete Robertson no. might end up starting. <laughs> like, it's between Brooks Reed and Pete Robertson. And I'm like, ah, uh, I, I don't know. know I don't know about this one. Yeah. <laughs> Andre Branch to the rescue. Yeah, they got it. They, I, this is my prediction. Andre Branch is still in the league? Yeah, he, he's, in the, he's with the Cardinals. I, I, oh I predict the uh, Arizona Cardinals are very active on the waiver wire on September 1st. Yeah, they've, they've them and Miami. Yeah. Those teams are not done making moves. These these teams are not finished. So, yeah. Uh, next one from John Fraley at John David Fraley. Which division will win the fewest games as a foursome, and why is that division the NFC East? What? <laughs> that was where my mind went. The NFC uh, East. Oh, NFC East. I I thought he was saying uh, AFC East. No, NFC East. Like, no, it's not know, the, you, no, 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 it's not them. It, it's going to be the AFC East or, let me think, AFC South. NFC, yeah. AFC South, probably. I could see a team going 9-7 and seven winning the South this year. I, I don't think. I've watched too much AFC football or AFC South football to uh, be tricked into thinking the team is going to go 12-4 and four from that division. Yeah. Uh, I... I'm with you. I think it's probably the AFC East. It's just going to be the same shit as usual where, you know, the Jets might be competitive this year, but we all know top dog Patriots. Dolphins are a mess. Bills are going to be wildly consistent. So let's go AFC East for that one. Uh, let's hit a couple more. Uh, next question from Victoria at Vic or Victoria Vic at Dirtbag Queer. Uh, should people actually be freaking out about Jenny G? Yeah. I, Maybe. I mean, it's I been two years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I still want to be optimistic just because, like, you saw that 2017 stretch and it was good. And then you kind of look at what happened in the last in three games last year. And, you know, his adjusted yards per attempt mark was pretty good. But I think a lot of them have been skewed off, like, one massive touchdown pass to Dante Pettis week one. And, like, you look at the adjusted yards per attempt but, and it's nice. But if you actually go back and watch the games, like, it, it really wasn't that impressive or, or that great so and then you obviously you have last week against the broncos where you know big fangio's defense just kind of shelled him for six passes like he went one for six uh zero yards in the one completion and threw an interception that was pretty bad and he should have had a pick six on one of the passes that was dropped uh so it, it just didn't look good he looked a little bit out of sync and i you know i think it's totally fair to be concerned about jimmy g because he's never played a full season and i thought one thing that was funny that blew up my mentions in 49ers Twitter was Baker Mayfield has thrown 125 more career passes than Jimmy Garoppolo. That's crazy. And yeah. And I mean, Baker Mayfield didn't even start the full season last year. So <laughs> you know, Jimmy G, even though he got the bag, like he is still a very much unknown quantity 
as far as quarterbacking goes. Even though, you know, I, I want to believe in him, and I think he's got the right skill set for Shanahan, but it's, you know, it's still a, a, a giant question mark. And just based off the way he's looked in his last, what, that preseason game plus the three games uh, from last year, that, I think it's if you're freaking out about it, it's definitely warranted at this point. Yeah. Um, I'm reading a tweet right now. Hashtag Packers TV Network reporting no starters will play for the Packers tonight and they will play on a shortened field. Perfect. Uh, so when I upload this on Friday, everyone's going to know that already. But Oh, we're putting this on uh, Friday? All right, whatever. I mean, it's, it's going to be it's nighttime on the East Coast. Yeah, that's fine. Five, five quarterbacks will get hurt by the end, by the time this thing posts. So that would be great. Uh, yeah, let's hit one more question and then get out of here. Uh, let me see. Uh, all right. Last question from SKG at O Daddy with like four A's. Is there a chance that Gruden actually knows what he's doing? Not a chance. I don't think so, man. I don't think so. But you know what? He does know what he's doing. He he, he got a check cut for him. So he knows how to get money. Outside of that, I, I don't really know, man. Yeah. Uh, actually, let's, there's one more question that I think we kind of touched on a little bit before with the Cardinals, but I think it's interesting. Uh, this is from Nick at Star Wars Nerd 75. How patient will the Cardinals front office be with the Kingsbury and Kyler experiment? And then how long <laughs> – also, how long until Kingsbury has a DUI in Arizona? Since I guess that's the trend with their front office. I, I have uh, a real take about this. So you, you go first. On, on which part? Not the DUI one. I don't want to put my name on that. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to skirt <laughs> past that. Uh, even though, you know, it's kind of funny that two years in a row that's happened to the Cardinals. Uh, how patient will they be with the Kingsbury Cogsbury? I mean, you know, I, I, I kind of think they got to let Kingsbury ride out Kyler's rookie deal because, like, theoretically, what's stopping him from going back to baseball? I agree. Um so here I'm looking up the contract details right now because this is actually a really important part of this take. Uh, so Kyler's agent is also Cliff Kingsbury's agent, uh, Eric right. Eric Burkhart, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if they cut uh, Cliff after a year, right, um, I mean, we could see a situation where Kyler just basically gives back his prorated bonus and he could sign for more money for baseball in, you know, two years or something like that. I'm looking at his signing bonus right now. So the NFL or the MLB, right, was willing to pay him like 15 million, and he can make. Uh, this is great radio. <laughs> he would have to give back 17 after this year if Cliff is if, is uh, let go after a single year. And if you're Kyler and it didn't work with Cliff, it's probably not going to work with anyone else. So I think I really do think Kyler and Cliff are kind of attached at the hip. And if you cut the bait on Cliff, like Kyler's just gonna bounce the baseball. It is what it is. Unless it's yeah. unless it's a situation where Kyler flashed and then like it's clear Cliff is the issue and then Kyler matches up with someone else, but it's clear that, you know, he's gonna be on pace for, you know, a, a hundred something million dollar quarterback contract in a couple years, right? That's the only way I can mm-hmm. see Kyler sticking into football. If if you cut the bait on Cliff um before Kyler's rookie's deal is up, uh I, I think they're probably both going to bounce. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's definitely possible. I, I, I like. I, I think the correct answer to that is his leash is as long as Kyler Murray's rookie deal. And 
you know, if the Cardinals are looking at this with a very rational point of view, which, you know, that isn't a guarantee, uh, you know, they got to realize how far away they actually are and realize that, you know, year one and year two, this is not going to look good, probably. The flashes are going to be fun, but, you know, I think by year three is when they should really start having expectations. Like, this thing really needs to be scrapped from, the, like, rebuilt from the ground up on both sides of the ball. I, I'm pretty high on Kyler, even though he hasn't looked good this preseason. Like, you know, it, it's just going to take a lot of time. And hopefully they have the, the foresight to realize that and just kind of, you know, just let this Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury experience play out to the fullest and pray. I agree. I, we were joking earlier about this, and I was like, he, you know, they're a year away from being a year away right now. Like, no expectations, probably even next year. You know, that's kind of where they're at. Yeah. I mean, it, it's far away, especially in the off of the line, man. I mean, that is a bad feeling. Uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what is there to say about the off of the line? Like, they're starting J.R. Sweezy in 2019. I thought we ended that experience man, like three years ago. Yeah. Uh, Jake Laser just said the Dolphins tried to trade for Davion Clowney last week. That doesn't make sense. No, I don't know what they're doing. I thought they were in on the tank, but I'm not quite sure anymore. Hashtag fish tank. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's going to do it for episode 90 of Setting the Edge. Do you have anything else before we uh, go? Uh, no one get hurt in the preseason. Don't play your starters. It's dumb. No one cares about winning games in August, and the starter is going to make the team anyway. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. And just a heads up for next week. Uh, if you're listening to this still, you want to first off shout out to you. You're a real one. And uh, going back to the Cardinals, I'm going to have something where I talk to two air raid coaches in college, uh, just about one like kind of the history of the air, air raid, and then uh, the other was how uh, you know Cliff's offense is not quite you know carbon copy air raid like you know national media might have you believe. It's it's a, it's got some components to it, but it's pretty much his own little baby by this point. So that's going to come out next week. It's pretty fun to put together. Uh, so yeah, keep an eye out for it. All right. Five-star reviews, more than Peter King, all that bullshit. See you next time.